are now listening to an inspirational message from the Greater Shallow Missionary Baptist Church, where Dr. Michael Wesley Sr. is pastor. Please join the service in progress.
God is to be glorified all the time. Earth is a dry run for heaven. When we are in that ultimate place with God, when this world is no longer in existence and we're spending a timeless eternity with God, it will be about glory to God. And it will be glory to God forever. And that will be the only thing. Won't be no football, won't be no basketball, won't be no baseball, won't be no track meets. It'll just be about glory to God. And so we better get ready. <laughs> we better get used to giving God some glory. Because that's what life is about. It's a dry run for eternity. And that's what the song simply said. But God has a word for us this morning. I want to get to that word. I'm excited about it. I, I love the opportunity that God blesses us with. And I want you to appreciate what we are and who we are and what God is doing. So we're going to offer a word of prayer. And then we're going to dive into the word for the morning. Father, we thank you once again for this great season. We thank you for the times of fellowship and familyship. We thank you for the meals that we've shared and for the fellowship that we've enjoyed. We thank you for the opening of this season where so many are caught in merriment and wonderment about what is to be. But because we're your children, we know what it's about. We know it's a moment to represent the things that you're doing and you're causing the whole earth to pause and to realize who you are. And we thank you for that privilege. And we ask you now to lift again your human out of self and fill us with the Holy Spirit and bless us as we open together your word that we may gain understanding and that growth might take place in our lives as a result of divine truth. So speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Open our ears. Open our hearts. Open our lives. Change us. Make us different than we are now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 And again. You know, last week we talked about uh, what on earth am I here for? And, and, and the whole idea was to introduce us to the thought process in the Doing Life series of our purpose. Why did God make us? Why did God allow us to live on the earth? And I said that we were made to be the recipients of God's love. But I also said that when you're loving and loving is all on the one side, that's no fun. If you're doing all the loving and nobody's loving you back, now that, that get a little old. And God felt that way. God was loving people, but people were not loving him back. So God put a command in his word. And that command was love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and your neighbor as yourself. So God expects reciprocation in the love that he has for us. And so last time we looked at Daniel as an example of the kind of person who was just being themselves and experiencing the glory and love of God. Today, I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Man, my book has gotten, somebody did something different here. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 16. There, in those few little verses, are some big possibilities for us to consider. All right? So Paul is writing, and he said, These things I write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how 
thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, lived on, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. This is the word of God for the people of God. I, I want to preach today from this subject. Formed for the family of God. Formed for the family of God. I'm talking about a purpose for why God made us. God has formed us to be his family. And that is a staggering thought. But it's consistent. It's consistent with the way things are. Every one of us were born in some family. We were just not dropped out of the sky. God didn't just say, okay, I want you to live on earth, so I open the sky and just drop you down here. That was not what God did. God allowed you to come through the realm of a human family. And in that human family, there were certain kinds of things that were supposed to take place. Now, I'm acutely aware that everybody may not have grown up in the same household with your biological mother and father. And I understand that. Some may were given that privilege. Some may have been raised by a grandmother or an aunt or a big mama or even an aunt or some other form that God brought into your space. But the truth is you grew up in some type of family. And in that family that you grew up in, there were certain lessons that you learn. You learn how to behave yourself so that you could live in the world outside of your family circle. My father would sometimes sit around the dinner, dinner table and he would talk to us. We didn't have a whole lot. And whatever it was that he was able to provide, he wanted us to be assured that we were all right. So he didn't want us talking about that with other children because he didn't want other children making fun and us making fun of people who may have had less than we did. So he said things like learn to be appreciative of whatever I'm able to provide for you. Whatever clothes you might not have, the Leonardus Strassett knits, but your clothes are clean. Learn to appreciate that. And whatever I put on this table, you eat it. Now, that was before McDonald's and Burger King, so if you didn't want to eat whatever it was, you were going to be hungry. Because it was 10 of us and somebody else would readily say, oh, he don't want his, I'll take it. And so we also learn about manners and behavior. Mom would say stuff, we'd get ready to go out, to go to school. She said, now remember, you represent me. Don't embarrass me. Know how to behave yourself. Other people are watching you. Don't let nobody call me and tell me you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. When you go to school, you might not make all A's, but you can sit in that chair 
and behave yourself. And we learned how to handle ourselves and behave ourselves in the world based upon how it was in our family. And what, what Paul is saying to us today is that the church is the family of God. And as a result, we should learn how to behave ourselves in the world that we live in. And so it will bring glory and honor to our Father which is in heaven. Now let me ask a question. How many still live in the same house that you grew up in? Anybody? Somebody might be. But very few. Most of us have lived in one house and then another house and then another house and then another house. So it was not the building, the house that made you the family. It was the compilation of the teaching and the behavior and the character that you developed that allowed you to be able to go forward and no matter where in the world you go, you are still that person that was developed in that family. Man, we had a great time Thursday. Laughing, talking, lying, <laughs> smiling, all kind of stuff like that. That happens in the family, in the household, right? And that gives us courage. I mean, even what I laughed, what I laughed about and, and enjoyed was when we were in the circle getting ready to pray. And then there were two and three generations and I'm, and, and I'm looking at, I'm looking around at my brothers and my sister, I mean, 70, 80 years old. Hello. And, and still vibrant and going strong. And then I'm, I'm looking at newborns and I'm looking at everything else in between. I said, God, thank you. And, 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 and we have been able to keep that going, not just because of us, but started with our parents and now this generation and the next generation and you're pointing to future generations so that they would know how to behave themselves, how to love each other, how to carry themselves and all those things. That's what's supposed to happen in the church. One of the reasons the church is in a mess and in trouble today is because we have stopped teaching the book of Judges in the second chapter has probably one of the harshest, most difficult sayings it is. And it says there, there arose a generation that knew not the Lord. How did that happen? Because somebody stopped telling others how they need to behave and how they need to learn to love him and share and all of those things. People attitudes today concern the church is, oh, I don't need the church. I don't want to be a part of the church. You are in error. That is not the truth. You need your spiritual family just like you need your physical family. And there are people who will grow cold on the physical family. You know that too, don't you? Oh, yeah, they will. Yes, we will. Man, sometimes it's hard to get along with brothers and sisters. Sometimes it's hard to get along with cousins. And sometimes that's why they call in-laws outlaws, because it's hard sometimes. But we are still supposed to do it. Because the expectation has been laid on us by whom? By God. And so this is what Paul is talking about. By the time Paul has come on the scene, God has tried several different tactics to develop a family. It's not like he tried and failed. It was his plan all along. 
It was just a gradual unfolding of how he chose to do it. He first started with one man, Adam, and he gave him a wife. And they were to have children and to make known to the rest of the world who the one true God is. But they failed. So God decided he'd start all over. And he decided to go again with one family man. And his name was Noah. And Noah built a boat. And his family was saved from the destruction, the judgment of God. But Noah, as soon as he got off the boat, got drunk. God said, let me try something else. So he went down in Ur of the Chaldees and he got a man named Abram. And he said to him, get up from your kindred and family and go to a land that I'll show you. And I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. And he brought Abram out of Ur. And he was married to a woman who was barren. But God made a promise. God said, I'm going to make your children as the sand of the seashore and as the stars in heaven. And Abraham believed God. And when the man was 100 years old, God finally gave him a son. And then God told him, turn around and now take that son and kill him. And Abraham believed God would raise him up again. So, the story of Abraham's family and how it developed became the nation of Israel. And God's intent was to reveal through the nation of Israel who the one true God is in the whole world. But once the children of Israel had grown into a nation and they were brought into the land of Canaan, then they turned their back on God and began to worship other gods. And God punished them, let them be taken away out of the land. And he brought up Jesus. And when Jesus was born and lived on the earth for 33 years, then God took him to the cross, had him killed, raised him from the dead. And 10 days after he got back to heaven, 50 days after his resurrection, God gave birth to the church. And the church was to be and is to be the family of God. The church, the body of Christ, the baptized believers in all the earth, not just the local assembly like this building or this gathering of congregations. This is one branch in the family. Like my cousin, them in New York or Detroit or wherever they might be. They are part of the family. They might not live here, but they are still in the family. People in other buildings that are worshiping at the same time may not be in this building today, but they are still a part of the family of God. And God expects the same thing in every assembly. And so Paul, was a traveling missionary, and after he had gone on three missionary journeys, he was ultimately arrested and locked up. And theologians believed he was released after his first imprisonment. And so he leaves at the church at Ephesus, which is one of those centers that he founded, one of his young associate ministers whose name was Timotheus. Paul leaves him in charge and he says to him, this church is in trouble, man. He said, you got ungodly people that are leading the church. You got evil men who are serving as pastors. You got people who are practicing all kind of wicked happenings and devices and things. He said, I want you to straighten the church out. But so that you'll know what ought to be and what ought to be the behavior, I'm going to lay it out for you. And so he, in this letter called First Timothy, he's writing down those things. First he says to Timothy, don't get involved in foolish arguments with people over stupid stuff. How many know that tears up families? Man, there are some people who can't even sit down together because they argue over politics. 
They argue over what color somebody's wearing. They argue over different stuff. And how many know it can tap churches? People get messed up in church over whether we're going to have potato salad or chicken salad. What color the carpet going to be and what color the paint on the wall going to be. All those kind of petty things you don't get lost in. He said it becomes like gangrene. It'll eat away as poison in you. Stay away from that stuff. And then he started talking to Timothy about women ministry and women in church. He said, let women learn in silence. But then he moves on and he said, look at church order. Churches ought to have pastors or elders or bishops and deacons and women and other people in the church. But they ought to be qualified to serve. If a person is going to lead, here's some of the blank, straight qualifications they need to have. And he goes into a deep discussion about all of that as we come into chapter 3. But when we come to the 14th verse, which is where I begin to read, he begins to transition. And so it's a statement of transition, shift. He says to Timothy, he said, really, I really want to come to you. I want to come back to where you are. He said, but just in case I'm delayed, I have to stay longer or something happens that won't allow me to get back to where you are. At least I want you to know, and this is the heart and soul of what he's talking about, how to behave in the church of the living God. So that's my word for you today. We need to understand that we have been formed. God has brought us to the earth and he has gathered us and he has placed us together in the church. Not the building, but the family of the living God. And I like that, the living God, because he, 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 he specifically emphasizes the family of the living God, the church of the living God. Now, to see what that really means, you have to go into the Old Testament, and when you go into the Old Testament, you see several examples that they pointed out who are the difference between the living God and an idol God. Joshua first in chapter three of Joshua's message said to the children of Israel, when you get across the Jordan River and we come into the land God, the living God, will surely drive out the Hivites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and all of those nations because he is the living God. And all of the other people are worshiping what? False gods, idol gods, dead gods, made of wood and stone and things that can't speak and can't act. King David, when he was talking about going into the valley of Elah to fight against Goliath, David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that's making fun of the armies of the living God? He said, I'll take him down and treat him like one of these others because he don't know who he messing with. He's defying the armies of the living God. I just want to know this morning, who do you worship? Do you worship a dead idol God or do you worship the living God? I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living. Whatever men may say. I see his hands of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him. He's always near. He lives. He lives. And he brings salvation 
to impart, to give away. You ask me how? I know he lives. He lives within my heart. So I serve the living God. And I thank him today that he has included me in the family of the living God. I thank him for my physical, biological family. I do. I thank him for my mom, my dad in heaven today. I thank him for brothers and sisters as wild and crazy as we sometimes may be, even me. I thank him for that. And I thank him that he called me out of darkness into the marvelous light. And he has placed me, formed me for a role to play in the family of the living God. And, and, and Paul goes on to say, Timothy, you need to know how to behave in the family of the living God. The church of the living God. And then he lays it out. He gives a mission statement. He says that you need to recognize that you are the foundation. That's who the church is. The church is the foundation and pillar of the truth. We are the people who are to support the truth. Now, 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 let me, let me help you. Because Timothy was in the city of Ephesus when he received this letter. And in the city of Ephesus was a big temple. And it was built to the false god, the idol god, Diana. Or her Ephesian name was Artemis. And that temple was a magnificent structure. But what made that temple so fantastic and fabulous, it had 126 big, heavy, round pillars that upheld the structure of the temple. And so I can believe in my mind that when Timothy and the other people in Ephesus read Paul's letter and say that the church of the living God is the foundation and pillar of the truth, they couldn't help but to see that they were to be the people who upholds the truth. And that's what I want you to see this morning. That you are the people of God who have a responsibility for upholding the truth. Now, how can you do that? First and foremost, I'm going to give you eight little things to drop in your spirit to help you. In order to uphold the truth, you first must hear the truth. And so that's why we open these doors on Sunday. We're not opening the doors because we necessarily want to see 100,000 people in here. It would be wonderful if they did. But whoever comes in should be coming in to hear the truth about God. How can, how can you uphold something you don't even know about? How, how, that's, that's what Paul writes to, to the Romans. He said, how can they believe in somebody that they have never heard of? And how can they hear except there be a preacher? And how can he preach unless he has been sent? 
So God wants to send people who have the truth that they can pass to the world. It's, the church is not the building. Greater Shallow in its 137 year history has had five or six different buildings. So it's not the building that makes us the church. It's the family connection we have with Jesus. But our task, our behavior as we go into the world as God's formed family is to be people who uphold the truth. But you first got to be a hearer. The second thing that you have to do, if you're going to be able to support and uphold the truth, you, 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 you got to memorize. Uh, yes, you got to memorize the truth. You got to memorize scripture. Listen, sometimes outside of the church, you are called upon to be a witness. Sometimes you have to talk to a girlfriend, a child, a sister, a brother, or someone. And at that moment, you may want to use some nugget of truth. A Bible may not be close at hand. Pastor Wesley might not be somewhere around. And you have to give the truth. So you need to have some pit portions of it stored up where? In your memory so that you can give as was needed. Now, I learned some of the truth at home. In the physical family, in my physical family, not maybe yours, but in my physical family, it was 10 of us. Mama and daddy and eight children. And then it started adding on to others. And my daddy had a practice that before we can eat, we all had to say a Bible verse. Daddy would give the grace and bless the food. Then my mama would lead with a Bible verse and starting with the oldest child all the way down to the last one. Each one had to recite a Bible verse. I was number eight, so I mean I was number 10, which meant I had to know all 10 of their Bible verses because I could not repeat the same verse that had been spoken. Are you hearing me? So I had to learn. I had to commit it. This is the word of God. This is what David said. David said, God, thy word have I hid. Well, not in his physical muscle, but meaning committed to his memory. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you and I can't tell you the number of times when I wanted to do wrong when I was on the verge of doing wrong and nuggets of scripture would come back to speak to me and stop me in my track so you need to memorize scripture if you're going to uphold it you got to have it in your head Thirdly, you need to meditate on scripture. Now, meditating is more than just reading it. It's thinking about it. It's letting it marinate down in your mind. All y'all good cooks, you got, you've been cooking barbecue and all of that stuff. You know what you do to get that meat ready. You don't just take that dry meat and put it on the grill. No, you marinate. You put that sauce on it and you let that stuff soak in there and get down in it so it flavors. That's what you do with the word of God. When you, when you hear the word of God, you read the word of God, you have to sit back and think about it. 
and let it get down in you and understand what it means. You have to meditate on it. That's what, that's, what, that's what God told Joshua. He said, this book of the law. He said, take it and, and turn not to the left hand or to the right hand, but meditate on it day and night. And then your feet, your footstep would be straight and your, your life would be filled to the overflowing. That's what he's saying. So if you want to, to live a good life, you want to know how to behave out of here in the world, get in some word and let some word sink down in you. Christianity is a thinking religion. All other religions are ritualistic. You have to do something. You have to bow. You have to stand up. You have to burn incense. You have to go somewhere on some pilgrimage. But in Christianity, God says, I'm giving you the word. Think about it. When you meditate on this word and you re- really begin to think about what this means, what it means to be a child of God, what God has promised me, then I got something I can stand on, something I can hold up. Fourth, you got to study the word. You got to study the word, not just hear somebody else talk about it because a whole lot of folk going to bust hell wide open because of what they thought they heard somebody else say. And what somebody else said was not necessarily the truth. I heard a lot of stuff growing up that when I really began to begin to read at this word and meditate on it myself, I found out it was not what the word of God said. We sat years in churches. We couldn't learn. We couldn't grow because the preacher was not educated. And that's not our fault. It wasn't his fault either. He responded to the call of God to the best of his ability. So the old preacher would, would say things like he put his finger in his ear and I imagine the Lord Sam. And he closed his eyes and said, I'm see the Lord Sam. Oh, Lord. And, 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 and it'll get good and people get to rocking and shaking. And... No, when you study the word, you dig into it. You analyze it. You break it down. You look at word meanings. You look at places. You look at people. You look at circumstance. You look at what was intended. You know who's talking. You know who they are talking to. You know what they are talking about. You know what would be the understanding of those that are hearing the word. And then you can understand the meaning of the passage. When I first was a young boy reading, I didn't know the book of Job Job was the book of Job. I thought like you thought. It was the book of Job. How many know that that's what you used to call it? Job, because that's what it spelled like, right? And we read Psalm because it was easy. And we read Proverbs, but we weren't going to read Isaiah. We didn't know what that prophet was talking about or who he was talking to. We didn't read Revelation. Oh, that was scary. But now when you study the word, Paul says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, one who can rightly divide the word of truth. Now that's behavior when you're growing. When you're growing, you study so that you know what you're saying. And people just can't tell you anything then. You know what it is. But what good would it be to study the word if you're not going to number five, obey it? You got to obey the word to really behave. Listen, mama could give all the instruction. Daddy could say all that he wanted to say. But if I went out and disobeyed, I was setting myself up for a whipping. Hello? Man, somebody called home, called from the church because I was sitting in church acting up. Or out in the community, they didn't let me wait to get home. Sometimes they'll get me before I got home. And then call my parents, and I got it again when I got home. Because I was disobedient. 
The last whooping I ever got from my dad, I was 12 years old. But that was 60 million years ago. <laughs> and he told me, uh, man, I did something I had no business doing. I didn't even need to do it. But I was disobedient. And because I was disobedient, he dealt with me. And I thought I'd never stop crying. I mean, he whipped me. Listen, it don't hurt no more, but I never forgot it. Do you understand? Sometimes, bought sense. <laughs> you know, they used to say stuff like, a hard head. Make a soft behind, or in my case, a sore behind. <laughs> but I learned that if I did not want those whippings, it was just as easy to be obedient as it was to be disobedient. And so we have to learn that God is our heavenly father and he wants us to be obedient to what he has said. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Then, then that is six. You, you, you got to defend the word. You have to defend the word. There are people every day who want to know a reason. Why do you believe what you believe? You should be prepared to tell people why you believe. I know what I believe. Listen, somebody asked me, you know, man, when I died, somebody, I was in a conversation. And the lady said, if, when I die, I'm just going to be six feet on. I said, no, you're not. I said, you, you're going to go one or two places, baby. You're either going to go to heaven and be with God or you're going to be in hell, separated from God forever. And she put her hands on the hips and said, and how you know all of that? I said, let me tell and I was glad to be able to defend what I know. I am saved. I know I'm going to heaven whenever this life ends because I know what Jesus has promised. Jesus said it like this. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Okay? Hey, I also understand what he said when he was talking to Nicodemus. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, meaning me, I'm a whosoever, you're a whosoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So I know what I believe. And I can defend that. And there's a whole body of study on the defense of scripture that's known as apologetics. You need to know Christianity is under attack. The growing religion now is atheism. And people look at people in the church's behavior. And this is why people don't want to be part of the church. It was like a man who was a farmer who had uh, sheep and goats. And, and he was bringing his goats around the side of the mountain. And, a, and a farm, another farmer, it was raining. And, and the farmer told him, man, bring your goats on in here with us. And so he brought his goats inside the, 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 the cave on the side of the mountain. But he watched the shepherd and he watched how the shepherd mistreated the sheep. And so when it was time for the rain to stop, the man took his sheep. He said, man, I'll see you later. I'm going. And the farmer said, no, stay with us. He said, man, why would I stay in here with you? And I see the way you treat yours. See, that's the way the outside world look at people in the church. They look at the way you treat each other. And they say, why do I need to be a part of that when that's the way you guys behave? But you still ought to be able to defend what you believe. Even if some family members cut up. Still know that I come from a good family. Even though everybody don't do what's right. And even though everybody in the church don't always do it the way God wants we still need to know what we believe and why we believe what we believe. But not only that, not only must we, must we hear the word and, and memorize the word and meditate on the word and, and study the word and obey the word and defend the word, but more importantly, ah, seven, we got to learn how to live the word. 
Oh man, that is it's, it's, it's one thing to preach it. It's one thing. It's another thing to live it. The old, old sermon said, "I rather the old poem said, I rather see a sermon any day than to hear one." The word goes on to say, "Fine counsel is confusing, but examples are always clear." When people see an example. When, 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 when you have been in the word and you have been studying the word and you have been uh, uh, meditating on the word and you understand what the words say and you go out, you can let your light shine before men because they will be able to see the good that's in you and it will bring glory and honor to your father which is in heaven. When people see you, they know that you're a tree because you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That bring forth fruit in your season during your lifetime and your leaf won't wither and whatsoever you do will prosper. When people see that you got the Midas touch, that whatever you touch turns into gold, they know that God has something to do with your life. You got to live it. And not only must you live it, you also have got to proclaim it. You've got to tell it. You got to tell it on the mountain. You got to tell it on the valley. You got to tell it wherever you go. You got to tell what this word is. That's how others will know it. That's how others will believe it. That's how others will understand it. When you proclaim it. And so my brothers and sisters, here's what I want to help you understand. There's so many different people in here. And we all got different roles in life. Some are mothers, some are fathers, some are sisters, some are brothers, some are truck drivers, some are cooks, some are teachers, some are educators, some are coaches. It doesn't matter what you do and how you manifest that. You are still charged with the same responsibility of upholding the truth. And you can only uphold the truth when you know the truth. You can only be the family member that you need to be when you know how the family is supposed to function and when you understand what your role is in the family. God didn't put you in the family because you're somebody special. God put you in the family because he loves you and you show that you love him back by learning what he says and following obediently what he wants you to do. Now in your study, you'll find that building blocks are there that you, could, you, you need to be authentic. The only way to be authentic is to be in this word. When you're in this word, then you are the real deal. You're, you're, you're to be kind. You're to be able to be sustained in life. and You'll be sustained when you know the loving arms of God are around you. You're to be mature. and You're to in, help others to be mature, to encourage others and and all of those things. That comes when you are authentically related to God in the way that you're supposed to be. You also learn that we're supposed to be unified. You can only be unified when we believe the same thing. Because our unity is based upon our common belief and our common understanding. If you believe Jesus is the Son of God, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. You love him, I love him, we're going to be together. We don't practice Christianity in a vacuum. We practice Christianity based upon understanding the mission. Next week when we talk about form made to be Christ-like, we're going to look at the second part of that verse. And we're going to see that all that God wants you to know is contained right there. Listen. God loves you today. How many know God loves you? Do you believe God loves you? Do you believe God cares for you? Do you believe God has a plan for you? Do you believe God has called you out of darkness, put you in the light, brought you into the church? God cares. He really does. If you're here today and you've never trusted him as your savior, then you can do that right now. We open the doors of the church. You can give glory to God. You can give glory to God. You can say, God, I want to give your name glory. I want to give you honor. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you came into the earth. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you were raised the third day. 
And now, Lord, come into my heart. Live in me. Help me to be the man, the woman, the boy, the girl you want me to be. If you believe that today, doors open. Give God your heart. Give one of these your hands. And let's begin a walk. You were formed for God's family. Give glory to God. Give glory. Give glory. Missionary Baptist Church, where we are reaching the world for Christ, located at 2135 Jefferson Avenue Southwest, Birmingham, Alabama 35211. For a copy of a CD or DVD, you can reach us at 205-925-5972 or visit us on the web at www.greatershallow.org. For an uplifting message, please join us for the next broadcast.